0: It's probably going to be one of the songs we'll sing in heaven. Amen. 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 What a a beautiful day um, and a moment for us. Um, I want to talk to you today about the last moments before Christ ascended to heaven and uh, what He spoke to the disciples and what He speaks to us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And Acts is the beginnings of the church and the formation of the church. A uh, very powerful book. If you haven't read the Book of Acts, it's a great example of what the church is supposed to be, and also what it's not supposed to be. <laughs> so, um, but turn with your, turn with me to your, uh, in your Bibles to Acts chapter one, and we're going to jump in here and see what Jesus has to tell his disciples. Obviously, over a period of forty days, Jesus uh, spent time with his disciples, appearing to his disciples spoke to people, appeared to people. He had breakfast at the sea. He uh, appeared to them in uh, their closed-up room. He showed him his nail-pierced hands and side. Uh, Jesus was very involved with these disciples after the resurrection. And it's important for us to understand these things. In Acts 1, it says, in my first book, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles, further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them... he uh commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift He promised as I told you before. John baptized you with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking Him, Lord, has the time come for You to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday He will return from heaven in the same way that you saw Him go. Isn't that a very powerful statement there? By the way, those disciples in those moments when they were asking Jesus, they were saying, hey, is now the time for you to restore Israel? By the way, God will restore. He's going to rule the earth. Amen? Amen. And that hasn't happened yet, so that wasn't a dumb question for them. There's prophecies throughout Scripture about what Jesus would do with Israel and what He would do with His kingdom here on earth as He establishes His reign. That hasn't happened yet. And so those disciples were anticipating those things. By the way, what I love about questioning and asking God questions is they were anticipating things about God. You didn't see them kind of in the back seat sitting around. No, they were saying, okay, God, is this the next step? What is this pointing to? I love it when disciples and people get involved and excited about what God's going to do. Amen. Today I want to talk about what witnesses do. By the way, maybe you didn't know this, but you are a witness. Amen. God's commanded each and every one of us to witness, to, to bear witness of God, to uh, share our testimony with people, lead people to Christ, Share salvation. Share the things of God, by the way. It was funny this week. It was hilarious. Drake sent me a TikTok and this guy was... You know, TikTok's these quick little video quips and it was funny because this guy was witnessing and he was witnessing the chickens and they were all running from him. He said, hey, have you heard about Jesus? And all the chickens were going like this the other way. Drake does not know the timing. It was perfect because today is about being a witness and I couldn't believe it when I got it. I'm like, thanks for that one, Drake. So, yeah, Drake, thanks, man. What does a witness do? And Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We feel like we're running after people. No, no, didn't you hear about Christ? And we got our hands around their neck. Don't you know Jesus? That's not witnessing. Can I get an amen there? We don't need more of those. No, we need powerful people full of love and we need powerful people full of compassion who are willing to sacrifice everything to see people come to Christ. What do witnesses do for far too long to follow Christ in an American Gospel is to go to a church service, recite a prayer, and go back to life as usual. Oh, and pray for God to give you a raise at work and bless the dog. And that's what we do in America, don't we? Let's be honest with ourselves. The normal church-going person is unaffected by the Gospel. They do their thing. They do their penance, if you will. Catholics have penance. The, the church has penance. We do our thing in the evangelical church. But do we understand the value of the Gospel and literally what it means to follow after Christ? In the first church, the book of Acts, We know know too soon the beauty and the power of being the church. Sam Alberry writes this I once heard it said that there is no such thing as a God forsaken place, given that God is present everywhere. But there is such a thing as a church forsaken place. For a region to be without a church means that it does not have access, that it does not have the access it needs to the truth of God's goodness and love. Lacking a church, Is not the equivalent to lacking a decent supermarket or movie theater. It is like lacking a hospital or a source of water. It is utterly necessary. Folks, let me tell you something. A church forsaken city is a church without, or a city without hope. You go to towns and cities, we're like, oh, isn't this great? They got a great arts here and the river district is beautiful. Isn't it great going downtown and you see the beautiful flowers in the arrangements? Isn't it beautiful? Do you know what, do you know what the city needs first and foremost? It doesn't need a great city hall. It needs a great church. Because it's like a hospital. Did we forget in America that the church is supposed to be a hospital? I don't know if you've been to a hospital lately. Maybe you spent some time there recently. Um, but when you go to a hospital, people are experiencing all sorts of traumas, aren't they? People have all sorts of problems and all sorts of scenarios. And they're going to a doctor to say, Doctor, I need answers to some problems in my life. Do you know, church, that you have answers to every problem in life spiritually people face? And that's in one thing, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ. And anything that we face, God provides the answer because Jesus said, I am the way, the what? And the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. Every city needs a great church. And I pray that our church, we would recognize this. We're not looking for great people. You know, we look for certain candidates. We're like, oh, this person would be great. And wouldn't this person be great? No, no, no. I want to have our chairs really smelly and really dingy with people who need Christ. I've shared this a number of times in my messages but when Hurricane Katrina came through, this one pastor down in Florida was talking to his friend, and he said, This hurricane was the best thing that ever happened to our church. See, floods happened, and they needed a place for people to stay, to house people. So you know what they did? They had all their cute pews. Aren't pews great? You go to church and All oh, their pews. Oh, look at these pews, and look at the floor. Everything's great. The flowers are beautiful. Is a church beautiful? Turn to someone and say, Is a church beautiful? But that's not church! Do you know? This pastor instructed his elders. They had to stack the pews in the parking lot. They were stacked to the light post so that people could come into this mega church and sleep there and eat there and have a roof over their head. That's church. That's ministry. If you want donut time, go to Dunkin' Donuts. The Bible declares that Jesus came to do one thing when He came to earth. And that is to seek and save that which was lost. We're a spiritual hospital. And my prayer is that God brings us people that are desperate. Maybe they've been abused by drugs. Maybe they've been abused by people. Maybe they have serious challenges in their life tragedies in situations that only God can provide the answer for. And maybe we don't wait for them to come here. i got a great idea when it comes to evangelism. By the way, no matter how much neon we put around that oval sign up there that says Turning Point Church service at 10 o'clock, we'll put another thing of neon. Maybe they'll just notice our church more. Does the people notice you out there? Did they notice you out there? God called us to go. He didn't say for them to come. He didn't say to His disciples in Acts 1, Stay ye therefore, and the people will come to your church buildings and facilities. He said go. My prayer is that God not only brings us people, but that we would go to people. And you know what's important for us in order for that to happen? I'm getting really dry here. Just one minute. Pray for God to put people in your heart. It's pretty hard to witness to people that you don't love. And many of us were witnessing to people out of anger, and our eyes are kind of like this, and they're gritting, and they're like, oh man, that person needs Jesus. I can't believe. Did you hear those swear words they said, Pastor? Oh man. Can't believe they used God's name in vain, Pastor. Yeah, they're heathens. Right? Yeah, but did you see what they're doing? Do you see what they're saying? Yeah, they need Jesus. Do you love them? Do you know that amazing verse of Scripture? It's one that I've never heard before. For God so loved the world. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus dying on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Do you remember those days of your life when all you lived for was yourself and you never gave a thought to who God was and what He had given to you and the breath He put in your lungs? Do you remember your life when it was so like this? Do you remember those days when all you thought about was you and live for yourself and live your life this way and you had absolutely no focus on Jesus? Do you remember those days? Don't, don't lose sight of what those were because it will give you better perspective when you start to actually talk to people and to minister to people where they're at. You will get off your high church horse and you will get down at their level. I love what Paul said. Paul said it like this. He said, I have become all things to all people. Think about that for a moment. Paul wanted at any any cost to get people to know Christ. It didn't mean he, he didn't compromise. He wasn't compromising and, you know, smoking pot over here with this person and doing drugs with this person over here and, you know, getting drunk with this. That's not what Paul meant by becoming all things to all people. But he wanted to speak to people where they were at. Develop a love for people. Do you know there's a guy that I've preached a million messages about and I am dragging him to heaven with me. Do you got any people you want to drag to heaven with you? Listen, he's coming with me. You know, the Bible says some people will enter heaven by the skin of their teeth. I don't care if this guy gets into heaven by the skin of his teeth. But let me tell you something. Jim, my next door neighbor, is coming to heaven with me. He's coming. He's going to get there. Yesterday, God stirred that up again. We had a piece of mail come to our house. And it came to the wrong address. And it was just one of those moments where I'm like, well, I'm just going to use this moment. i got to waltz there and just talk to Jim, see how he was doing. But it put back into my heart a passion and understanding for I want to see this man come to Christ. Amen. Who's your Jim? Do you even have any gems? Do you even have any people that you're concerned with? You know, that's the problem with the church. We've, we've become so isolated and so protected and safe in our salvation that we forgot that we need to take risks and develop relationships with people that may not see like us and may not do things like us, they may not talk like us, they may not perceive like us, but nevertheless, God loved them and died for them. Do you have anybody in your life, any people, that God is impressing upon you and if you don't, it's okay. Do you know how you change it? Do you know how you change it? Do you know how you get out of your own little selfish world? Do you know how you get out of it? You start praying for other people. And your problems start to fade away. You start getting involved with other people. You start doing things for people. You start serving people. You start to open up your heart to other people and say, Do you know what, God? I have been too safe and too protected. Do you know why is it? Why is it? in this beautiful world we live, and the the life we live, why do we hide behind our locked doors and our blinds and everything and our sky bells and our rings and everybody is an axe murderer now? We don't evangelize anymore. We would rather not see people. Some of us would say, if I don't see another person again, that's fine with me. Some of us have loved this pandemic. It allows us to stay closed and stay away. Do you know that during the pandemics of the world, this isn't the first one, and it won't be the last one. Do you know that when the, when the New Testament church, when they had pandemics happen, do you know even the heathens, the Romans, would notice that the church would go help people in the middle of pandemics when the heathens were away from people and not wanting to get near them. It was the church diving in to help them. They didn't use fear to protect themselves. So often, we don't evangelize because quite frankly, and I am the worst at it, I get scared. Can I get some hands up in the air if you just got a little scared? God speaks to my heart and tells me to go speak to someone, and I've said it before, and I'll use this example again. I said, no way, Lord, I'm not talking to that person. This would be weird if I did this. He gives me another opportunity to do it. I didn't do it. God, give me another chance. You know, this year as you become a witness, by the way, it's not you handing out tracts to everyone you see, and if you're at the supermarket saying Jesus loves you every time you say it, that's not witnessing, you're just being obnoxious. Can you imagine Jesus just passing out tracks everywhere? You know, think about it. Jesus lived his life on point, and he wasn't afraid to share the gospel. Some people, he didn't even really, quote, share the gospel. He healed them, and they're like, who healed you? Some dude. I have no idea. When you start to pray for God to put people in your heart, here's what will take place. When you really see people, you will see past political views and ideologies. Oh my, can I say that to some evangelicals today? When you see people, you'll fight less. We're fighters, aren't we? We love fighting. We love to argue with people about things. Who cares at the end of the day? Turn to someone and say, really, who cares? Do you know what will happen is when you start to see people, you will take yourself a lot less seriously. We have taken ourselves way too seriously. We don't know how to live anymore. We don't know how to breathe anymore. Everything has to be perfectly lined up. We just can't live life and just enjoy people around us because everybody is in a little clan now. Everybody's in a little package. What are you with and what are you for? I don't care what you stand for. Do you love Jesus? By the way, church, can we get off our cause bandwagons? You know, we blame the world because they do that, but doesn't the church get on their cause bandwagons? We get on our abortion bandwagons. We get on our racial reconciliation bandwagons. And those are all great causes. I had a great night. We had Thursday. I, I love what happened with us dealing with helping these moms and babies. But you know what the greatest cause that you will ever become a part of? If you want to sign up for a cause, we all sign up for things. Turn to somebody, I'm going to petition for the commission. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? I just thought of that. That was really good, wasn't it? (laughs) Guys, I'm getting t shirts. We're going to have buttons and we're going to sell them. Hats, bumper stickers. Do you know the greatest cause that you will ever become a part of is the Great Commission? Warren Worsby writes this, and this was really hard because when I first got into ministry and pastoring, I was charged. There's one of the huge privileges and responsibilities that is really still really hard for me to do today, believe it or not, and that's weddings, but it's funerals as well. Funerals are not easy for me to do. I don't like funerals because here's the problem with funerals is everybody, you don't know where everybody's at, right? You don't know where they're at spiritually. You have family members. I remember I did one family where a guy had died of heroin overdose in a Walgreens parking lot. And they needed a pastor. And I said, God, you called me to be a pastor, not just to save people, but to unsave people, right? Come on. So I go to this house, and the first thing that starts happening is they start surrounding me with, well, this was his grandma's Bible, and this was one of the letters they gave him because they wanted to reinforce. No, no, he, he, he knew Jesus. And I said, "Guys, I said, My, that's, not, that's not where I'm at here. Now, I'm not here to prove or convince or do anything. I, I can't change anything, but you can." Now, Warren Worsby writes, "Too many Christians think they are prosecuting attorneys or judges when in reality, God has called all of us to be witnesses. Folks, I'm not a prosecuting attorney. I'm a witness. That's all I am. You see Paul. You see Peter. They proclaimed Jesus and Him crucified. They didn't try to manipulate people in situations. They would pray with people, pray the sick. Do all sorts of things. Give to people. But you are not a prosecuting attorney, folks. Take that weight of responsibility off you. Take that responsibility off you and just simply become a witness. Why don't we turn real quick and see God's heart and His plan for people to come to Christ. And it's in Second Peter chapter 3 towards the end of your Bible. Second Peter three verses three through nine. Oh, I'm in first Peter. This was about wives and their husbands. That's next week. No, I'm just kidding. Second Peter three, three through nine. There we are. Day of the Lord's coming. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers would come. Can I get an in there? Amen. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened in the promise that Jesus is coming again? See, a lot of people, even in the church, don't think Jesus is ever coming back. He is. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. Don't forget. Don't forget this. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promises as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. That none should perish. That's His goal. And by the way, if people go to hell, it isn't because God sent them there. They chose it. People have a choice. And God gives you a conscience. Read the Romans about God put in every man. Even the creation declares God's glory. Hell was never meant for people. And yet people choose hell because they, they disassociate themselves with God. He says, if you deny Me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Amen. We can't play and leverage our life saying, well, I'm going to say that cute little sinner's prayer and do church and then live my life how I want to live. No, no, no. God commands that you sell out for Him. And as witnesses for Jesus Christ, the reason why Christ hasn't returned yet is right here hidden in the Scripture is because He is patient and He doesn't want to see anyone perish. Why hasn't God returned yet? Why hasn't God returned yet? Because He's patient. Can you imagine, man, if I was in control of this earth, how many people would have half this world burned up right now if you were God? I mean, I that person and that person and that person and this situation, just wipe it out. I'm going to start over again. Treat it like, I mean, that's how we are. The disciples got like that, telling them, you don't even know what spirit you're of. God, let's, let's just, they rejected you, Jesus. They don't love you. Let's just get rid of it. How many pray those kind of prayers? God, just get rid of this. And God wants us to double down and reinvest and say, have my patience. You are a witness. Be a witness. Be patient. Be patient. I am not slow. I am not slack according to my promises. But folks, you're going to have to start praying for a heart for people. If you don't have a heart for people today, ask God to soften your heart. And there might be certain people right now where you're going to have to ask God, God, give me the patience. Give me the compassion because I don't Have it on my own. It's a beautiful prayer. See the pain they're going through? Look past all the cover-ups and defenses. Pray for them. Here's a beautiful thing. Do you know what I found is a great, great, great witnessing tool? Folks, witnessing to people or talking to people about Jesus isn't that hard. It's not that difficult. You don't have to have the Bible memorized from front to beginning. Do you know what I've even found at work and window cleaning? It's like how do you introduce these kind of things with people? Do you know what we find ourselves doing? And it's not. it doesn't happen every day. But just those random moments that the Holy Spirit gives you, isn't it beautiful when God gives you random moments? Do you know know what i found? Is to pray with people. I pray with people on the phone. You know, it's crazy because people need prayer. And nine times out of ten, the person is not going to say, oh, I don't believe in that prayer stuff, don't pray for me. Even the people who are really stubborn will take a prayer from you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's turn there. This is how we have to perceive evangelism. It's a big word, but it's really simple in our everyday lives. It's not reserved for the evangelists. Let's pay the evangelists. Let's have someone come to Rockford and save the city. Isn't that, isn't that the easy, like, slack way to do it? Who could we have come? Maybe, oh, maybe, well, Billy Graham's not here anymore. What are we going to do? Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? There's no more Billy Graham. God, God, what are, you, what are you doing? Isn't that how some of us are right now? God, what are you going to do with this world? I mean, every, oh, God. And God is up in heaven, and that's exactly His position. He's just going... Oh, Billy, Billy, why did you have to die? 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. You and I, are planters, we're waterers. And he goes on to say, it doesn't, it's not important who did the planting, right? It's not important. What is important is that God provides the increase. You and I in our life with people, somebody here might just plant something in someone's heart. They didn't know, you might not even know the relationships and the people that you're touching and impacting in your life right now. You know, there's people even in church who don't have a relationship with Christ. They're just church-going religious folk. And you plant a seed in their heart and all of a sudden, it starts to grow and God provides the beautiful increase in your life and in that person's life. What's important, by the way, is that God makes the seed grow. I remember even in my relationships when I was younger with friends of mine who were involved with sorts of stuff. I had a friend who was involved with heavy metal. He was a big Ozzy Osbourne fan and upside-down crosses. Remember Ozzy Osbourne? Crazy guy, right? And I'm like, dude, let me tell you how bad this is. I started talking to my friend Matt Kernel. He started ripping his posters down in his bedroom. I had another friend. I go to his house. And I'm again, 13, I go to his house. He's got this poster of this girl in a bikini there. And I'm like, Dude, you need to take that down. That's wrong, man. What are you going to do? I took it down. And you know who got mad at his, her son? It was the mom who got mad at him. She's like, why are you taking that down? He goes, "I guess it's bad, mom. <laughs> it, it was a crazy moment. God provides those opportunities for you to plant. Maybe someone else waters. I don't know what happens down the road relationally with you and I, but I know maybe... Someone has planted something and the roots need to grow and all of a sudden God calls you to start watering something in their heart and you come alongside of them. By the way, sometimes salvation doesn't happen in that moment, right? We think we failed God if maybe we shared something or did something and that person didn't respond the way we thought they were supposed to. But did you think for a moment that God's doing some things behind the scenes that you're not seeing Don't forget this, this very powerful promise that God's Word gives to us, that His Word does not return void, that it accomplishes what it set out to do. Do you know the beautiful promise that you and your household shall be saved? I think that's so powerful for each and every one of us in our lives. Some of you in here right now, you're the only light in your family. You think about that. You have people in your household that, don't know Christ, and quite frankly, maybe they grew up in church, they don't want anything to do with it. When I talk to people, just ask them about their experience, they say, well, yeah, I grew up. I grew up in the Catholic church or whatever, but, I, but they've been out and, and whatever it is, I don't care what the experience is or what it is, but you might be the only light right now in your home. It's okay. Turn around and say, you might just be that person. You don't have to prove any points, by the way. You know, Thanksgiving and the holidays become that time. It's really difficult in mixed family situations and everything where you have to prove points, you know. You don't have to make your cause. You know what you need to be in that situation? You just be a light. Sometimes God might lead you to speak up about something and share something important. And you know what's other times that's really important too? Is you don't say anything at all. Think about that. How am I a witness by not saying anything? How many of us have gotten in trouble with this little thing here? This little tongue here. It's like a ship. You know, the Bible talks about our tongue. It's like the rudder. and It it steers us to places. We're like, how did I end up here? Well, it's because you were talking too much. I'm I'm a talk-too-mucher guy. But sometimes God calls you to be a witness and stand for Him And stand on principle. Maybe it's at work. I shared this time when I was working at Highlander and this guy was making fun of me because of our stance for sexual purity with me and Ann before we were married. And he started making fun of me. And so I made fun back at him. It was my time to stand up for what I believed in. And I said, well, I won't have crazy things going on with my body and sexually transmitted diseases, but you will, buddy. (laughs) And he didn't have anything to say. (laughs) See, being a witness doesn't just encapsulize the Gospel per se in the Bible of like, when I ask Jesus in my heart. No, a witness starts happening in your lifestyle and the choices that you make before God and the convictions that you have, and the things that you don't do. And the reason you don't do them is not because you're a goody-two-shoes, it's because the Word of God commands that you live a certain way before Him. Remember Light Bright? Wasn't Light Bright amazing? I was thinking about that last night. I was thinking about light bright when you had it. That came out in like the '80s, and you had this little board that lit up, and you had these pegs that were clear, and you had the pictures. Carl, Carl, you had a light bright. You got to tell me you had a Carl. Yeah. So, but we, you put the light bright together, and all of a sudden you have this beautiful pictures, folks. You and I are one big light bright. I'm telling you, we're a city on a hill. We're not supposed to hide. And there's a very powerful thing to all of that, and it's compassion. These blind people outside the faith, by the way, I want to remind you, these blind people outside the faith that are doing crazy, willy-nilly things, you know what it is? They are deeply loved by God. But they're not following Him yet. They're deeply loved. I think of the story of Jesus, and He gave the example of leaving the 99 to go after just the one. Man, I've got 99 here. We're doing good. Our church is filled with 99. Yeah, there's one more. One more. How were you led to Christ? Think about that. Honestly, how were you led to Christ? Maybe it was through a family member. Maybe it was because your grandma wouldn't stop praying for you, wouldn't wouldn't stop bothering you and loving on you and caring for you. Maybe God met you at a bar. You had enough of life. Maybe you're in a relationship one after another after another. Remember the woman at the well, one of the most powerful stories of evangelism was the story of the woman at the well. She had all these men in her life and the man she was with right now wasn't her husband. She says, you're a prophet. He's, yeah, I'm a prophet. And so she realizes that there is this salvation that Jesus is calling her to and because of the love and compassion of Jesus for this woman who didn't judge her and didn't cut her off, she saved the town, proclaims it to the town. Be careful who you have decided to write off today. Be careful of the people and even in the people groups and whatever you've decided to corner things and package things. Oh, no, no, no. God is so creative and loving and He gets people's attention in so many different ways. By the way, Jesus' mission was still to seek and save that which was lost. What, will it be required from each and every one of us? Each of us will be called to a different opportunity in people. Maybe God calls you to start a prayer group with some people you know. David Plate writes this, each of us says, as a Christian, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. As followers of Jesus, our lives are subsumed into His life, and our ways are totally surrendered to His will. He goes on to write, I don't know if I'm willing to go wherever He leads. I'm afraid of where he might take me. What if he leads me to Africa? Or if he tells me to downsize my home? What if he turns everything in my life upside down? And as a result, we're anxious and hesitant to say to God, I will go where, whenever you lead and give whatever you ask. See, that's the American gospel. We parse with God and we say, Well, God, I'll follow you to this point. the minute we get done and we, we're going to have an uh, evangelism sign-up sheet and we're all going to go to Africa. I actually had a time in my life where a guy came to me and he's like, Steve, I'm, he was really passionate about Africa. Steve, you should go to Africa. You've got to go to Africa. You've got to go to Africa. And I turned to him really quick and I said, dude, that's great what's going on in Africa. In my heart, I, I'm praying for the situation. I want to pray with you for that. But I said, do you know what my Africa is? My Africa is Turning Point Church. I don't need to find something out there. It's here. These people. These people cause me to stay at night thinking and praying about them. This church causes me to dream and think, God, what do we do next? Where are we going? What's happening? This is my Africa. Amen. Amen. Folks, I want to ask each and every one of you today, what has God put in your heart? What's your Africa? Maybe you do go to Africa. One of the most biggest blessings for my life was this, is I went on a couple missions trips. I went to Mexico and I got to go down to Mission, Texas. There's a lot of news going on right now in Mission, Texas. We were down at a church down in Mission, Texas, helping. We did a big passion play down there. We got to go to some villages and see these communities. I never knew as a middle-of-the-road middle, middle of the road kid uh, uh, over by Guilford High School growing up that people live this way. Went to Siberia. Crazy going on there. Crazy things going on in this world. But it changed my life forever. Doing jail ministry. I didn't want to do jail ministry. I literally was drugged to jail ministry due to jail ministry. But you know what it did? It opened my eyes to people and situations. People need Christ. Jesus said if you give a cup of water and you do it, you do it in My name. When I was in jail which you did to the least of them you do to me. Don't tell me today you can't be a witness, by the way. The Bible declares this, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our what? Every one of us here has a testimony. What God saved you from and actually what He's saving you through right now. Some of you have your sanity. It's only because of one thing. It's because of Jesus Christ. What becomes your Africa? What becomes the situation you go after? Let me also say this, being in the middle of what's also broke me down and seeing all the humanity there, I didn't want to be just a churchgoer. And from the very beginning, at 15 years of age, I started saying to myself, I just don't want to go to church. I want to be involved. I want to do things. I want to see God at a bigger scale of what's happening. And it didn't matter my age. It doesn't matter your age. Folks, just go get it. Kids, tell your parents, I want to do this. I want to go after that. Do you know what's so cool about my parents looking back at it? Do you know what my parents said about all the stuff that I did? They never discouraged me from it. They never said no. They just supported it and said, Go for it! Go for it. They have arguments about things. Mom, I want to go to Mexico to help people. Steve, I think we really should think about this. Can you? <laughs> but some parents think about these things like that. Don't just be a churchgoer. Be the remnant of people that say, you know what, God, I want to go after you. Sandra, if you wanted to come up and start playing, I wanted to share and end with one story. It's a beautiful story. If I can find it here. There it is. I want you to know too when you're witnessing that of a hundred unsaved men, Jefferson Beck writes this. One might read the Bible, but the other 99 will read the Christian. I think it's really important. We want people to get into their Bibles, unsaved people. Do you know most unsaved people aren't opening their Bibles? I don't know if you knew this or not. They don't know church language. One of the best books I read in Bible school was this when we had evangelism, was Inside the Minds of the Unchurched Harry and Mary and getting inside the mind of an unchurched person. See, all of us come from probably... How many were born and raised in church and basically went to church in your whole life in this room? Okay, so this is all of us, basically. So we know the lingo. We know the ins and outs. We know the rights and wrongs. We know what to say, what don't to say. But think about getting into the mind of an unchurched person. They don't know these songs. They don't know why we sing them. They don't know what the big deal is. Folks, of a hundred unsaved men, one might read the Bible, but the other 99 will read the Christian. Folks, when they read you out there in the streets, what are they reading? I heard it said like this, to live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God, will come to know God because they know you. Isn't that beautiful? Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Folks, I want our lives to end with a very awesome, resounding God, I followed you and went after you. When John Piper wrote this, and he actually spoke this at a huge passion conference, it was a one-day 2000 Memphis conference. Hundreds of thousands of people were listening. And he said this about an unwasted life. He says, "...three weeks ago we got word at our church that Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80. Single all her life, she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow a medical doctor pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives, driven by great vision, spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after most all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on Trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that's not tragedy. That is a glory. I tell you what tragedy is, and I'll read it from Reader's Digest, February 1998, what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your Creator be, I collected seashells. See my shells? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. It is short and it is so precious. Isn't that just crazy? Wants to close our eyes for a moment. And the American dream today is glossed over in a very selfish, consumed, think-of-me-first diet. And folks, I don't want to hand God a bag of seashells saying, boy, those are great sunsets. I want my life to be driven like those two women who gave their lives and their money and their testimony to give to the poor and to go after the lost. What a waste to think you retire at 59 and sit on your butt! What a waste! Today my goal isn't for my kids to retire multi-millionaires and have all these stocks and investments and portfolios and multiple homes. My goal is to see my family go after Jesus and to be a witness of His glory. Today, throw all the worldly success out the window. What good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And maybe today, you've been a churchgoer. And you don't know Jesus Christ. We've taken for granted the grace of God. And we might have uttered a prayer. And we might have done what the pastor has said, but it's never bled into our hearts. And our hearts aren't overwhelmed with the presence of God. We don't know Him. You on YouTube today, may you know the presence of God. And may each and every one of us repent of our sins and seek after God. The reason why Jesus hasn't come back is if you're that person that doesn't know Him, He's waiting patiently for you to know Him. That none should perish. Today may our heart be to be a witness Not all the time with our words. And maybe it requires that at times. But maybe we serve. We jump in. We pray. We develop a heart for people that we've grown cold to. We live like what God's called us to live. And the Word of God lives in us. But today, first and foremost, today you say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want us to pray this. This is not a formula to say a word a proper way. This is just for us to utter out of our hearts what we want to say to Jesus Christ. Shall we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. Thank, you thank you for dying on the cross for, for my sins. For my sins. The, horrible the horrible death which was meant for me. You died. Today, I receive Your life in my heart. I turn to You. I repent of my selfish ways. And I now am turning to You. I give You my life. I give You me. All my sins, errors, mistakes, I give to You. Thank You, God, for how You're going to show Yourself to me. And what you're saving me from. I thank you today that my name is written the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today, for the churchgoer, the person that knows everything to say and everything to do right properly in the church, and then when we get outside of these grounds and we start to work and meander with people coming from different places, our heart kind of turns away. We've maybe been scared. Maybe quite frankly, we've just, we're just we scared. And I want to first address those things and say, pray for God's boldness for your life, where you're at, the work that you're at right now. Maybe it's hard, it's difficult. And at times it will be. But God's placed you there to be a light, a city on a hill. And we ask for God to give you boldness. Not only to say the right things, but to be that person that you need to be in that moment. Maybe it's to come alongside people. I remember at times coming alongside people I didn't agree with, but I just wanted to stand alongside them and support them and say, even through all of this, I want to be with you. Today, maybe you're scared. There's a spirit of fear in your life. and God wants to baptize you today with a boldness. Today, if that's you, don't be ashamed. Let me tell you something. I was scared, and I kept my mouth shut during that time. Today, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Father, I I thank you for these dear saints. They reached out to you and said, I'm a little afraid. God, today I thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I thank you for giving them the mind of Christ. I thank you for giving them power today and boldness. I pray that through your mighty Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them and that you would give them the words to say, and God, you declared in your word when you appear before people, don't worry about what to say. I'll give you the right words to say when you need to say them. Let's pray this together, everyone. Dear Jesus, thank you for filling me. I need your presence in my life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're my friend. You're my counselor. You help me. Give me the words to speak. And even give me the words not to speak. (laughs) Help me, Lord, know when I am to talk. Help me, God. I thank you that you're giving me a boldness now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, it's very beautiful to see the Holy Spirit move And to give us a boldness where we were scared to put people in our lives. And we prayed, God, give me a heart for the unsaved. I think, man, can you imagine if all our churches, which are hospitals, would truly get a heart for the lost. Look past all the stuff and just see people. See the pain, see the problems. And allow God to work in and through you there. I just thank you, God, for today. Thank you for all the families that are here. Thank you, God, for the families who are worshiping with us at home. God, I thank you for the families that you're going to bring and that you're sending us to them. Thank you for the ways that we can minister. God, help us to be creative. And give us ideas on how you want us to minister in this community, in this neighborhood, in our neighborhoods, and the people that you've plopped us right next to. May we open up our blinds and our doors. May we walk outside the front door, introduce ourselves, and become part of the world that you've called us to. God, I pray this week that you would put faces in people's minds that they have forgotten about and even people that we've written off and we said there is no way. God, I thank you that today you make a way where there is no way. I pray that you would prick our hearts, God, to pray again with passion for the lost. God, you declared that the issue wasn't the harvest. The fields are white on the harvest. We live in great days, great days, great opportunities for the church to move and work. We need people. God, I thank you for the calling. I pray for the young people right now in this church. I thank you for your giftings and your callings over them. God, and the challenges that they face, and the unique challenges that they face, that they rise up with conviction and they be a light right now where they're at. And their friends, with the people that they're around, even their family members. Maybe they have family members that are rubbing the situation wrong. God, that they be a light. God, I pray for boldness over them. And when Paul talked to Timothy, he said, you've won your fight against the enemy. And God, I thank you and pray and proclaim to them that they win their fight over the enemy and that the struggles that they're facing, that God, your light would come into that moment and you would give them power in their weakness, that they be strong. God, even though they don't understand and they're trying to work things out, God, I pray that You would give them complete peace in their mind and their heart. We speak against the enemy that would try to attack them and to take them out. God, we pray protection that You guard their feet and their footsteps and that You're opening doors to them with people that they would minister to at their level and their language. You've given them their language. God, I thank You that when You died on the cross, You destroyed the work of the enemy. And what the enemy meant for evil, God, You do turn to good. I'll thank You, God, for such a time as this. We don't want 50 years ago. We don't want 50 years from now. We want right now. And just as the disciples, we're looking into heaven. And the two angels said, why do you stare up there? I declare over them and declare over the church that we don't keep our eyes up there, that we keep our eyes focused on the lost and the hurting and the dying and that we go after them. Oh, give us hearts, God. The young people and the old. God, You said in Your Word that You would put dreams and visions on the young and old. That You would return the hearts of the Father to the children. We pray for the fathers. We pray for fathers to rise up this day. And to carry the torch that they're called to. And the struggles that the fathers are facing. Oh God, I pray that You would give them the grace and the power to carry the torch. Holy Spirit fill the church and may there be a mighty sound like never heard before we don't want normal church we want to be rocked by the presence of the Holy Spirit we want to be shaken we want to be changed we want to be challenged so we can be like those two old women Who drove off to the cliff into glory? God help us not to be collectors of seashells, but to go after people. We are tired of the American dream that has caused us to focus on nothing else but ourself and our own self gratification. We don't want the American gospel. We want to be like the church of Acts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, folks, it was a good day. I love you. And we are the church. And we don't look our answers out there over here. The answer is right here. In God's presence for our life and what He's going to do for us. But have an awesome, awesome Sunday and uh, just enjoy each other's company. Maybe you grab someone and pray with them, build them up, but just know that God's called you out there, not in here. Can I get an amen? Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.